the end of the day, energy is generated not by the leader per se, but but by the impact the leader has on the people working with them and for them. And so in a way, it's back to front thinking about the leader. What we need to think about is the follower, the people who are actually in the organisation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pep Talks podcast. In this episode, me and Sam are joined by Andrew Dickoff, former CEO and now founder of Strengths Unleashed, a leadership development business who energise individual leaders, teams and organisations to help them identify and play to their strengths. Our main point of discussion with Andrew is all around personal and organisational energy. We discuss why energy is important, how to address energy drags and the leader's role in driving energy to meet the ambitious targets set within private equity. We hope you enjoy this episode. So really delighted to have Andrew Dickoff join us today uh, for this next episode of, of Map of the Maze. Uh, Andrew is the founder and managing director of Strengths Unleashed, which is a specialist coaching assessment and advisory business. Um, yeah. And he's got a particularly interesting take, which I think is uh, very appropriate to the private equity world because... I mean, if you're going to be a private equity back CEO or, or a member of the management team, that's the world you're now in. And it's not really a job. It's the way you live. So uh, organizational energy, uh, creating energy and drive is something that just has to happen in this in this environment. But um, creating it and maintaining it, mm. uh, I know in in running uh, our own business in Pep Talks, that's very quickly uh, requires a huge amount of energy and mm. I'm very interested in Andrew's perspective on organizational energy and that's what Richard and I are going to be talking to Andrew about today so welcome Andrew thank you for joining us thank you well thank you for inviting me so let's let's just kick off then with um, uh, the starting point really uh, the basics of uh, and it might might be fairly obvious, but why is energy and organisational energy so important, uh, specifically in this private equity-backed environment? Energy matters because energy is the fuel that drives organisations. And um, one of the metaphors that we use a lot is that of the vehicle. So you might imagine that the vehicle consists of your brilliant idea, your strategy, your people, your resources, uh, and of course your vital KPIs that you pay attention to and you hold people to account for delivering against. Um, That's the vehicle. The energy is the fuel of that vehicle. And uh, we find that very often organisations are brilliant at building the vehicle. They're much less capable at fueling it. And um, I I suppose... In the recent uh, past, I mean, what we've been through over the last three years uh, saps the energy even more so, doesn't it? Um, It does. I mean, it's been certainly, you know, I've been working now for 40 plus years and we've had four major events in the last seven, starting with Brexit, uh, going through to, you know, a pandemic doesn't happen too often. uh, And then we've got our dear friend, Mr. Putin, uh, doing his best to uh, upset the world. So... uh, when I talk to CEOs, there is not a CEO who's not concerned about the level of energy in their organization. I think the pandemic disrupted working patterns. 
um, and created what's known in the trade as a wicked problem. So uh, a wicked problem is a problem that's not fully um, clarified. You can't really get your arms around it. And, uh, and at the same time, every time you try and do something about the problem, the nature of that problem changes. And I think the future of work is a wicked problem. People know they want something different, but they don't know what they want instead. And therefore, for leaders of any business, actually navigating that is really tough. Uh, and I think the consequences of hybrid working, the the challenge to organizational cultures is showing up in the so-called quiet quitting, where people aren't putting their full amount of effort in, in you know, the, lots of resignations. So we're having to be back in that, you know, competing for talent space again. Um, and uh, so it's really tough. I mean, there is real measurable organizational impact because external events have diminished our energy levels. Could we um, go into the hybrid working thing in a bit more detail? I'd be interested to know if you think overall that's had a positive or a negative effect on energy levels. Because I think if you ask the majority of employees, they'd say it's a good thing, you know, being able to work from home as well as office. But now there's kind of a counter to that where if you feel as if you can do your whole job from home, maybe you're feeling a bit begrudged for being asked to come in or being made to come in and that can be an energy zapper. So it'd be interesting to hear what your thoughts are there. Yeah, I mean, hybrid working is a huge topic and a complex one. You start with an individual. Uh, hybrid working suits the so-called introvert much better than the extrovert. Um, and you go right through to the practicalities uh, from a an efficiency perspective at one level, uh, not having to travel um, is very effective. And certainly in the early days of the pandemic, one saw productivity levels rise. I think what's interesting now going forward is um, the consequence of organizations uh, and, and lots of people joining organizations who've never met people face to face, etc., is that we started with uh, a strong equity in terms of the fabric of, of, if you like, the society, the relationship network within the business. That has, I think, been eroded over time because of remote working. And I think what's really important to recognize here is what we used to take for granted, which was the human aspect of organizations because we rub shoulders together. Um, we now need to make a conscious competence. We have to choose to do it. And that's where organizations have yet to evolve really effective strategies and tactics for paying attention to the human capital associated with that. And we're seeing all sorts of experiments, all sorts of different uh, things emerge from that. Where does the, or, the organizational energy, is that just driven purely from the leader? Uh, what about the rest of the team? What about the rest of the organization? Is it greater than that? Is it the leader and the sense of purpose that the business has? Uh, yeah, well, that's that's a great question. The thing about organization energy, the way we describe organization energy is the energy of the whole system, the whole organization. And of course, organizations are fundamentally um, organic. You know, they, they are a, a, a collection of individuals around hopefully a shared and common purpose and ambition. Um, so, so they're not um, readily susceptible to linear analysis. Uh, however, if you accept this idea that the energy is the fuel that drives the vehicle, then you can see, and, and we've got 30 years of research that shows this, that there is a strong correlation between the system energy and the results that you're delivering. And lots of people think about energy in terms of employee engagement surveys, how engaged am I? Um, the challenge I have with that is that 
I certainly know in my career, I've often done my best work actually perversely when I've been thoroughly disengaged in the organization at that level. But, uh, you know, the project's been fantastic. I've been out to prove something, etc. And so, I mean, our approach is to flip it and look at the other, the other, look at the other way around and look for the evidence of what high performing, high energy organizations deliver. And um, uh, so in a, in a way, what we're doing is, is measuring you against a template of what does a highly energized organization deliver. And, and over the period that we've been working in this way, um, you know, we've identified that there are some key elements that you need to pay attention to in terms of understanding uh, what should we pay attention to. And um, you know those are what's the climate in the organisation? Um, you know, are you really good at customer service? Because at the end of the day, it's the value delivered to customers that drives your profitability. Are you really focused on achievement, uh, making things happen? Do you innovate? And, and are your systems and processes fit for purpose? Because as we know, um, poor systems and processes nothing erodes energy more quickly. Um, and so, uh, you know, those are the key elements. Now, the leader's role in that is the leader is almost like or the leadership. So leaders at every level. If you are the CEO or the investor, um, they're, they're, to use a, a coin a phrase, the levers that you have available for you to pull. So if you're going to want to increase the system energy level, it is the leader they are the people through whom you need to achieve that. Uh, and that's why their role is so pivotal. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in, in practice? So being a high energy lead, a leader and driving energy in the business, I think it's probably quite easy to maybe look at that in a very simplistic way and think it's just a case of being present and being quite bubbly and social within the business, extroverted. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that actually look like? How do you lead to drive energy? I look, I, I mean, I love that question, right? Because what you've shared is, as we know, um, a bit of a stereotype of what does a high, highly energizing leader look like? And mostly we associate that with people who themselves are highly energized. Um, and at the end of the day, actually, uh, energy is generated not by the leader per se, by, but by the impact the leader has on the people working with them and for them. And so in a way, it's back to front thinking about the leader. What we need to think about is the follower, the people who are actually in the organization. And uh, you know, what we know is that there are tried and tested techniques for engaging other people in a way that they find energizing. Um, the urban myth is that you know, it's, this is fluffy. It's not. It's, it's, it's hard science. It's real. And um, as a leader, what you have to do is find your authentic style of leadership, right? It's no good saying to someone who's a deep introvert, who, who, who's a, a equally deep expert, um, you know, dance around on stage and look cool. Uh, it simply isn't going to work. Even if they could emulate that, we would instantly see through that. Um, and so what we've looked into is how do we understand authentic styles of leadership? And essentially, we've established that there are um, there are six ways of doing that. So yes, you know, the enthusiast who who is energized and you, is infectious is a is a valid way to energize. Um, Equally, someone who's visionary, who can paint a picture of the future and get people excited. Uh, the enhancer, we call them, they're the people who really look after 
the people in the organization who are constantly seeking to develop and grow individuals in the organization um, who, who sort out conflicts and things that get in the way. That's uh, energizing. Um, experts, you know, we, we're inspired by people with, with high levels of expertise. Uh, driving for results down the right was clearly inspirational. People who are really goal focused. Uh, and of course, people who are highly principled, you know, who pay attention to the right way to do things, that can also be energizing. And what, what we see in the research is that um, as a leader, first of all, you need to know what is your authentic mix. And by saying a mix, you, we found you need three of these and you need them to a good level. And when you can have three out of the six at a good level, um, then, then you can have a, a positive impact and be an inspirational and energizing leader. Tell us about the research then. Where, what, what have you... What does it look like? How much of it have you done? Who have you spoken yeah, to? Yeah, so, so I mean, the research uh, isn't Strengths Unleashed research. So, so our, our way of working is we look for the best uh, in the world. And so um, in this particular area, we work with an organization called Zenger Folkman. They're based in the US. Uh, and they've been uh, working with senior leaders for the last um, 20 odd years. I've worked with them for most of that time. Uh, and I've they have ways of measuring through through 360 assessment and they have a huge database with multi-million uh, assessments in and so the the original research correlated business performance with um the behaviors exhibited by 23 and a half thousand leaders they've continued to examine that research subsequently so we we have very clear data that links particular ways of behaving particular areas of focus with you know pound notes at the end of the day mm -hmm. So if I wanted you to measure Pep Talks organizational energy. Well, so if we, we would look at, um, as I was referencing earlier, this idea that we know what an energized organization looks like. And therefore, we'd invite your employees to uh, self-reflect and assess the organization against those measures. And we would score you on a range of zero to 100. Um, and we would look at uh, those key areas we referenced earlier. Um, and we would also look at the individual leader score. So in this case, <laughs> you're Sam. And um, uh, uh, I put my own organization through this uh, not very long ago. Um, and one of the reasons I'm really passionate about it is that it, it absolutely pointed to the things I knew I needed to sort out, but if I'm honest, I've been rather avoiding. Mm. Uh, so we would, that's what we would do. Um, and and the range of scores, um, if you score below 50%, uh, then frankly, your business is in trouble. If you're in the 50 to 70%, you're probably maintaining a, a degree of energy. Uh, above 70% is where you have the potential for growth. And you know, one way of thinking about it is a bit like having a, a large hot air balloon. Uh, hot air balloons need a constant infusion of energy in order to stay in the air. Um, at the sort of 50 to 70, you're, you're static uh, in the air. Uh, if you're able to get above that, you get more energy into the envelope of the balloon, then you have the capacity to rise, i.e. grow your business and grow your profitability. So if we're scoring 50%, how do you fix us? Well, a great question. So um, what the analysis would show us is, is what are the reasons uh, behind that? So um, because what you always find, of course, it's not 50% everywhere. <laughs> so there will be either particular elements that are holding you back in terms of the key areas, um, you know, whether, whether it's innovation or customer focus or, or whatever. Um, 
And typically as well, uh, and this can be a little bit uncomfortable for some organizations, uh, individual leaders will differ. And so what we can see is when we look at the energy patterns across the areas of responsibility in relation to an individual leader, um, you know, some might be scoring in a larger organization very highly and others um, rather less so. Uh, and what that then allows you to go and do is find out, well, what's going on and why is that? Um, and in particular, in terms of a leader, your first decision is um, actually when I look at it, is it terminal? Uh, and as we know, in a private equity world, you know, time is of the essence. So um, the, the challenge always is, do we make the, the quick decision and bring someone else in and lose all that knowledge and experience? Um, or do we invest because it's inconvenient to change out the leader? It always extends the, the timescale to the next uh, event, um, in, in which case we might choose to invest in the leader. Uh, and so, you know, what we're able to do, you know, our expertise is actually knowing in relation to an individual leader, how you can make a big difference to the energy in your organization. And it starts with better level of self-awareness, understanding where do I get my energy from, first of all. Um, and secondly, what's my impact on the people I'm leading? Um, once we're clear about that, then we can work with you and, and give you, I, I sometimes call this the data rational route to emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence, we like emotional intelligent leaders, don't we? We like the people who, who get us, who, who, who do the right things, who we believe are genuinely interested in developing us and making us successful. Um, I, maybe slightly controversially, uh, I, I, this is certainly not um, a natural talent. Some people are naturally talented, but mostly it's not. And secondly, um, actually what matters is that the, you, the behaviors happen, not that you have a big heart and you care. So you can emulate being um, an, an EQ rich leader perfectly well. And, and what we sought to do is create, it turn this into almost like a science or, or, or a technique that if you learn it and you consistently practice it, will have a big impact on your energy levels, which will have a consequent impact on your profitability. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Is that via coaching? and? Training. So, so how, how we would do that depends on you know, the analysis and what we find. Um, and we draw on a mix. I mean, you said at the beginning that you know, our business, essentially, we have those three elements. We have the ability to assess. And for us, it's about assessing for development. So that's about helping you understand um, what are my strengths? You know, where do I get my energy from? What's the best version of me uh, look like? Um, the next step is to actually look at a, at a granular level uh, as to how I'm coming across within the organization. So we would typically then use some kind of 360 assessment that would point in a very specific way to which behaviors are working and which behaviors are not working. Uh, to the extent they're really not working, then we would have a coaching conversation with you and say, right, you need to fix this, right? You need to stop doing this. But mostly our, our inquiry is what does work and how do you do more of that? How do you amplify that positive impact? And yes, I mean, we would use coaching, we would use team facilitation. Um, uh, and sometimes it is almost like training. It's because there are techniques here, there are methods that work. If you were to take the coaching route, uh, if we track back a bit to uh, where you discover a leader is maybe zapping energy rather than sure. creating mm -hmm. it, if you were to go for the, the quicker option of replacing that person, mm -hmm. do you build that into the hiring process? How do you make sure yeah. you're hiring someone that's going to drive energy in the business? You can, you can absolutely hire um, using this filter set. Uh, as part of your your uh, assessment approach, uh, and um, you know we've developed our own uh, assessment approach. Uh, we call it triangulation, uh, and obviously, uh, triangulation in essence is if you want to pinpoint 
something with accuracy, if you take readings from three different points outside of that, you can see with, with accuracy. Um, and, and that principle, if you look at a leader, and particularly in the hiring process, we, we do a lot of this, is that um, the first question is, what really drives the individual? What motivates them? What is, what is this innate uh, pattern that, that really you, you can't change? Uh, the second question is, um, what is the thinking that you have when you set about creating a big impact in the organization? Because different people do it in different ways, right? Some people do, you know, they, they, they really focus on the goal and they work super hard and it's a really task-driven. You know, other people achieve the same results by being incredibly creative in coming up with novel ways forward. Um, and and so, so the energy level that you have for the different styles will tend to show up in, in how you lead. Uh, what's interesting is that very often um, where leaders, to your point, Richard, are having a negative impact or not as positive impact as you choose, you can often find there is a, a what I call a data clash. So what you see in the innate profile uh, and therefore would predict in terms of the, the style of, for creating impact, the way they set about creating impact is actually not aligned to that. So, um, I mean, a classic example would be on the way up the, the, the corporate career greasy pole, so to speak, um, we get rewarded for focused effort and working hard. As a senior leader, if you are all over your direct reports in Exco, um, it doesn't work. Right? Suddenly, that style of leadership that served you so well on the way up starts to fail. Now, mostly what we find, if you look at the, the profile around innate talent and what energizes you, um, actually, there was more to why you were successful. There are the ability to um, see new connections, have powerful ideas, envision the future, etc. And so what the data shows you is a hidden authentic style that you can then choose to adopt a different way of thinking that then drives different behaviours. And then the third piece of triangulation is, is this question, um, where are you going to do your best work? Because some people are energised and excited because they're working with the future, they're finding new ways forward. Other people are energised and excited when they're delivering day after day and really on the detail. Some people are super task orientated, some people are much more motivated and energized by people. And so we're able to do a, um, a sort of mini sub-triangulation, if you want to call it that, that actually helps you understand where are you going to get the best out of me? Where am I going to do my best work? And those three together, um, what, what, what motivates me, what's my thinking, you know, where am I going to do my best work? They, they give you the potential, they, and particularly from a cultural fit perspective, if you're hiring someone, it's really helpful, especially if you've got the same analysis for your existing team, and you know either you're trying to bring someone in to plug a gap, or you're bringing someone in to, to fit into the team. It, it, it turns that from a guesswork into um, uh, data-driven, and we, we're very visual. Our tools are all very simple to, to read, so you get a really compelling understanding. And of course, the acid test in a recruitment context ultimately is what's your track record? Now, um, in an ideal world, it'd be great to go and ask your colleagues how you're actually showing up. Um, in a recruitment context, we have to use tools that are a proxy for that, um, and, and that's what we do. So, so then you get a very full picture, so you get a clear picture of the potential, and at the same time you get the warning flags, that things you need to probe deeper and explore uh, that, that can help de-risk the hire. The, if an individual is scoring 50 or less on the energy scale, uh, yes. is your 
What's, what your intervention there is, we can fix this. We maybe can fix this with some work and some help and support. Or is it really anyone that's at that level can't be in a sort of really senior leadership position in the business? Forget the CEO role. I mean, we're assuming the CEO needs to be scoring really highly in terms of the energy they're bringing to the organization. But again, applying it to the private equity backed world. I mean, a lot of these businesses are small and growing very quickly, have been highly entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. They may be less than 100 or 200 Mm -hmm. employees. So a lot of the management teams have grown up in the business. Mm Um, and therefore, their knowledge and experience base in the business is extremely rich. Mm. So taking them out and mm-hmm. bringing in a professional manager, you know, somebody who's grown up in a larger corporate environment and parachuting them into something that's highly entrepreneurial sort of makes sense on paper. But actually, in practice, uh, it's quite a difficult thing to get right. Um, so I, I guess the question is intervention develop that individual with low energy or is it just best to remove and yeah so look there is no one answer clearly to that question uh, the first and, and actually the most important uh, thing is to find out uh, are they open to the journey the people that you can't do anything with are the people that go defensive that go into denial um, and aren't open to, to learning uh, a different way of doing it if you've got someone that's that's genuinely up for learning, and, and very often um, in, in exactly this sort of situation, no one's ever told them how to do this. Right? I mean, they, these are typically very smart people who've been, you know, got ahead because of their ideas and their expertise. Um, um, so actually, my instinct is mostly give them a chance because you can actually find out pretty quickly. Um, first of all, you can put them through the assessment process, which gives you much better handle on the capacity and um, and one of the things you can think about doing is actually measuring an individual's ability to handle complexity Um, and and that is not about raw intelligence it's about thinking style Um, and actually where we get into trouble very often is we actually set people up for failure and we give them roles and we ask them to do things that they're simply not suited to doing where actually other aspects of who they are and their experience are vital to the business. So sometimes it is actually about repositioning people. Uh, and, you know, we talk about organization energy. We talk about the system. It's, it, it, I would advise people just beware of being too individualistic about your thinking because it is extraordinary the extent to which an individual's success or failure is actually driven by the system. And that's why we measure those systemic elements uh, in the first instance. And I have seen um, with the right intervention and the right coaching support in six months, I've seen some remarkable shifts. People who you thought you wouldn't have made it, suddenly now they understand. Someone's actually explained to them what they need to do and supported them in learning those new disciplines and habits uh, and doing it in a way that's authentic, right? Because we always start with a deep understanding of you as an individual. We never ask you to do something that, that's not you. So, so our particular um, superpower, if you like, is, is by deeply understanding the individual, we can then help you create the tactics and the strategies that are authentic to you that can transform the, the environment. So, so um, you know, don't persist beyond six months because if it's not shifted profoundly in six months, then you know. But don't write people off necessarily um, straight away. I guess that's all about finding that authentic leadership style mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe what you've learned about leadership from other people or from a book, for instance. Yeah. Do you find there's also a following style? So if a, a, 
of leader were to find that authentic leadership style. Mm. Is that always going to work? Look, I think that's a great... Look, I love that. I totally love that question um, because um, an individual's success in an organisation uh, does depend on their fit in the organisation. So, you know, what we were talking about earlier in triangulation, that question, where do you do your best work? Um, often that reveals that maybe you're not in the right organisation. It's, it's not that you couldn't be a brilliant leader somewhere else, but um, you know, if you don't fit the system, yeah. the, the sooner we wise up to that and find you a better place to, to thrive, uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, that was my point about beware blaming the individual because actually, particularly as a senior leader, you need to think about the system. And ultimately, as the CEO, um, you know, you're both uh, the chief energy officer, of course, uh, and also you know, my mantra as a CEO, and I've been a CEO probably seven, eight times now, um, is it's always all my fault, right? Because it, it, the buck stops with me, right? As a CEO, my job is to, um, first of all, set the direction of travel secondly to recruit the people um, who are going to deliver that and basically to look after the people um, and so if someone is screwing up frankly um, it's my fault because either I've asked them to do the wrong thing I didn't uh, assess them correctly in the first place etc and that old adage you know no one comes to work to screw it up is 100% true uh, and I think as leaders we have to step into that and accept that responsibility. Mm-hmm. One of, the, one of the key drivers um, you mentioned was achievement focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was just wondering how you fit that into building OKRs and KPIs. Now you mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. on. How do you build those in a way that drive energy? Because I know when you build those, you want to be ambitious a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but potentially not hitting those targets can be an energy drag. So how would you recommend building those sorts uh, of things? Yeah. So, I mean, look, that, again, you know, great question, because actually KPIs are, you know, favorite subject of mine. Uh, and I, so I'm a former CFO. So, uh, you know, I spent many years creating and measuring against KPIs. I think where I am now is that um, KPIs can't just be output measures. Um, you, you need to measure the the key inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is that important? Well, firstly, if you're only measuring outputs and for whatever reason, often through no fault of your own, some external event conspires to prevent you achieving the goal. If you're only looking at the outputs, it, it is inherently demoralizing and de-energizing. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you're looking at the inputs, then um, actually you can be energized by what you've achieved. And, and you know, the classic example is sales, right? Um, if you're measuring sales as the number, if you get lucky, you could talk to half a dozen people and hit your number. Um, uh, but we know that, that any organization will have a metric that says, on average, you need to be talking to X people over X period of time. And if you focus on those input measures and assuming you've got the right product mix, et cetera, you know, as night follows day, it might not be this month, but it'll be in this quarter, um, you will get the results you need. And therefore, for me, um, the kind of OKRs that you set up need to be built around um, the things that have to happen to deliver the results mm-hmm. rather than doing it the other way around, focus on the results. Sure. Just, I guess there's like a foundation to this energy discussion, which is actually an element of self-care, isn't it? Yes. Like outside of work, what are you doing to look after your, you know, physical and mental well-being, mm-hmm. um, which I think can be quite a tough issue a lot of the time in private equity. Obviously, you're busy all the time, but then there's mm-hmm. these periods where you're really, really busy and mm-hmm. your full focus mm-hmm. has to be on the business. For instance, 
in the build up to an exit. Mm. And I think a lot of our listeners will, will think this way. There are times when I have to sacrifice my physical and mental mm. well-being to get this over the line. Mm. So it'd be interesting to hear what your, your sort of advice would be to people in that situation. Well, I mean, firstly, you know, I've been there. <laughs> so, you know, there are definitely periods of my life um, where I've been, you know, seriously bent out of shape in, term, in terms of balance. Um, I think there are a number of factors here. Uh, when you are highly incentivized, which by definition as a senior leader in a PE context you are, mm-hmm. it's very easy to kid yourself that you're okay when you're really not. Yeah. And I think uh, that's, that's a real danger zone because... Um, this idea that actually I'll just push harder, I'll go again, I'll you know, survive on two hours sleep. The risk you carry is two, twofold. One is that you will make a, a wrong judgment, which could be very costly. Uh, and secondly, counterintuitively, you will become ever more inefficient. And actually investing in time to recover before you go again is a much smarter way to go. Uh, and what I noticed is a lot of people in the PE environment, they sacrifice sleep. Uh, I think all the evidence shows that that's probably the last thing you want to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, beware, uh, because if you're into kid kidology space, that's when uh, it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think most... Most people, most of our members, most most of the sort of high performers in this in this environment, have tended to work out how to sustain themselves over a very long period of time, mm. um, but deliver really high levels of energy, mm. personal energy and organisational energy, um, and without seven hours sleep, you know you're in a you're in a lot of trouble, aren't you? Mm. But but I think I think maybe what's different in this environment is the fact that um, you sort of healthily never switching off yeah exactly uh, it's, not, it's not a nine to yeah. five or an eight Absolutely. to six it's like yeah. this you're sort of deciding committing yourself to living this sort of mission really living this life uh it's a bit like i don't know i mean and you have to be fairly selfish in mm. in committing to it because it has an impact on other elements of your mm. life but if you if you can make that commitment in a healthy manner it's a bit like being you know a sports person or an athlete, you know, you're you're working very hard over a sustained long period of time to achieve really high level results. Um, so it's diffi- the, difficult to do that if you haven't got a bigger sense of purpose, a much higher, higher yeah. sense of purpose. I mean, so there's a couple of thoughts there. One is that you know I was the founder of a business that um, made blood transfusion safe. So back in the 2000s, uh, if you went to get a blood transfusion, 250 people a year in England alone received the wrong blood with various um, gruesome consequences. Uh, And we set out and we we started a business to solve this, both technically and and find a financial model to make this work. And I know that I pushed myself to within a whisker of a heart attack because the mission was so important that the mantra was, this is too important to fail. Uh, and what, what that caused me to do was sail completely past any normal, sensible um, boundaries. And uh, when, I, when, when we sold the business and, and um, you know, I, I was looking to do the next thing, the number of people who said to me, oh, my goodness, we've got Andrew back now. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, you beep, beep, beep. Why didn't you tell me I wasn't there in the first place? And of course, I wouldn't have listened. <laughs> but I think, you know, there's a cautionary tale in that. And, 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 and I would say to 
um, leaders in that situation, it is absolutely worth whether whether it's in the form of a, a, an external paid mentor or coach, or it's in the form of having a group of people around you who who are tasked with um, calling you to account and watching uh, for that line, whether you're crossing that that line, it's super important to have that support network in place. You're talking about purpose there and, and believing in the organisation. Obviously, that's a key energy driver. In organisations where the purpose or the result of what you're doing isn't quite so well defined, and maybe that's not as easy to frame as, a, as an energy driver, how do you drive energy effectively in those organisations? Um, I mean, I, this might surprise you, uh, this statement. I think purpose is overrated. Okay. <laughs> And I think that for two reasons. One is that um, there's only some people who are highly motivated by purpose and meaning. Uh, I'm absolutely one of those. Um, I remember I did a big piece of work with one of the big four uh, accountancy firms. Um, and it became very apparent that purpose just didn't really cut it. They just didn't think in terms of purpose. Now, they did think in terms of doing great work for their clients and their role in society, etc. But it, that wasn't purpose in that meaning-driven sense. So I think for that reason, I think it's not really about purpose. It's, it, it's about finding a context in which you can be happy and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that loops back to our earlier conversation that if you have the right tools, you can absolutely understand um, what those are, and we, you know, we have a great uh, process that I call um, my one sentence or my three words, where we go through a process with you to understand what are your drivers, um, uh, and therefore what is going to energise you. And, and I had a, a, a favourite client who um, got in touch because he was being very successful, but he was a bit frustrated, wasn't really very happy. And so we, we ran this. Um, and what we discovered about him is that on the one hand, he had this aspect to his character where he had to always be pushing to the limit. And so, you know, in the gym, he was always upping the reps and you know, used to go on seriously dangerous black ski runs and stuff like that. Um, uh, and that was clear. And, uh, and he was feeling he was running out of challenge. But what we also discovered, there was this other side of his character where he was a bon viveur and he had a huge wine cellar. He loved going on five-star holidays and big dinners. And, and, and by putting those two together, you know, I am someone that pushes to the edge and I'm someone that enjoys the finer things of life, that he found, you know, his balance. That's his expression in life. I mean, you know, that's not about saving the world or, you know, um, whatever. Uh, so I think everyone needs, ideally, to understand what is it that works for you. And there's no moral judgment. There's no right or wrong here. But, but if you don't find that out, the risk is that your energy doesn't sustain. You, you don't remain resilient. Sure. And just finally as well, if we can talk a bit about once you've, you've gone into the business and you've done all the surveys, get to the point where you've identified, you know, what's driving energy, what's sapping energy, what happens after that? How do you then implement to fix those issues? And is, is the responsibility there just on the leaders or do you also put some responsibility onto the team members to drive that energy as well? Um, so I, I think it is responsibility lies with both. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very often what you need to do is, is remarkably simple. Um, and especially in a, a world where, uh, you know, PE world is, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's, it's always at pace. You, you, there's always that feeling. There's all that stuff I've still to do. And, uh, you know, the focus is what we haven't done rather than what we have done. Um, what we found uh, is that uh, some really simple behavioral shifts 
that you create across a group of people have a profound uh, impact. And um, the concept here is sort of first and second order impact. Now, to bring it into uh, common parlance, if you want to get fit, the simple action is you just need to turn up to the gym every week and be disciplined about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and what will happen is, yes, you'll get fit, but guess what? You, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll be able to, to you were talking about mental space earlier, it'll be easier to switch off. That, when you go back into your workplace, means that you're more relaxed, uh, more engaged, etc. So um, we have a, a methodology for helping you find out for your context, what are those simple shifts that if you make them consistently, will have a powerful and positive impact. Fantastic. That's great, Andrew. Thank you very much. We've really enjoyed talking about it, mm-hmm. haven't we? Yeah. Good. Uh, oh, my pleasure. If you want to find out more, go and have a look at Strengths Unleashed. Uh, I'm sure Andrew would be very happy to hear from you. <laughs> Indeed, Bob. Um, as you can hear, you know, we're passionate about business um, and you know, we're all post-career. So this, this is about making a difference. Uh, and you know, making a difference means helping you succeed. So um, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew.